kind of the beginning point. Two scriptures over in Romans chapter 8 and one in Proverbs chapter 20. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Tells us that every child of God, every believer has a right. I, I go a little bit further and say I believe it's a responsibility to be led by the Holy Ghost. But then we have to ask the question, how is he going to lead us? Verse 16 tells us, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. The inward witness is the number one way that the Holy Ghost is going to lead us. Now, there are times and uh, instances in the, recorded in the book of Acts where God would lead people in spectacular ways. But those were very, very rare and, and, and usually in extreme circumstances. The inward witness, bearing witness, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirits on the inside of us is the number one way that he's going to guide us. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The spirit of man, not the soul of man and not the body of man, but the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. I like a modern day paraphrase on the first part of that verse, which says the spirit of man is the guiding lamp of the Lord. Now we've talked about Man being a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. He is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. We've talked a little bit about locating the spirit. We've talked about the difference in the spirit and the soul. We've talked about, um, uh, shown examples of the inward witness and the inward voice and then spectacular leadings of the Lord, as, as we mentioned before. And currently, we're talking a little bit about how to train or how to develop your spirit. There are four steps to training, developing, or equipping your spirit so that it can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Step number one is meditate in the Word. Step number two is be a doer of the Word. Step number three is give the Word first place, and step number four is instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Now, when I heard these steps, and I got them from Brother Hagin, when I heard these steps mentioned... I thought, okay, step one, that's good. Step two, that's good. Step three, that's good. Step four is the one I really want. And a lot of times I think people jump over step one, two, and three to get to step four. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Now, if we talk about meditating in the Word, we're reminded and we've looked at before Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua is coming onto the scene as the leader of the children of Israel to take Moses' place. Nobody has stood before the Lord before or since like Moses did on behalf of Israel. He's got a hard act to follow. And the Lord tells him the key to success. He tells him, I'll be with you just as I was with Moses. He said, no man will be able to stand before thee, uh, before your face all the days of your life. But he gives him the instructions on how to be a success. He says, this book of the law, we might paraphrase that and say this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice the first thing there. Meditating has something to do with the words of your mouth. Meditating in the word, scriptural meditation, Bible meditation, is not the same thing as some people have the idea about Eastern religions. As much as I'm able to understand, Eastern religion form of meditation is where you empty your mind of all thoughts. I know a lot of Christians that are close to that already, at least from the way they live their lives. But that's not what Bible meditation is. Bible meditation is 
filling your mind with the word. See, a lot of times people try to get themselves in some kind of meditative state based on this Eastern religion stuff, and it becomes a condition where the devil can take advantage of them. But that's not what Bible meditation is about. It's about you speaking the word of God into your own heart, you speaking the word of God into your own mind. So Joshua 1, 8, the instruction God gives him for success, which tells me God wanted him to be a success. If he didn't, he sure made a mistake telling him how to become one, didn't he? He says, this book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. It's a full-time job. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Notice it doesn't even say God will make your way prosperous. It says you make your own way prosperous through meditating in the word for the purpose of doing it. Now we pointed this out a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. But I want to bring it back up again. Everything in the Old Testament had to do with obedience. The blessings of Abraham were all contingent upon the keeping of the law. So what's the benefit of meditation? Why meditate? Why not just obey? It's got to be a purpose. got to be a reason. But why didn't God just tell Joshua, make sure you keep the law of Moses so that then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success? And don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, denigrating obedience in any way whatsoever. But it wasn't the first and only thing that he told him to do. There's got to be a reason for meditation. I believe I know what that reason is. I believe we see examples of it in the scripture. You remember, and we referred to this as well, before as well too. You remember on Mount Sinai when Moses went up into the mountain? He went into an environment that nobody thought he could live through. As a matter of fact, when they saw the lightnings and the thunders and the earthquakes and the fire on the mountain and all the other outward signs of the presence of God, the people went to Aaron and said, nobody could live through that, make us a golden calf. In other words, part of the reason that they wanted to go back to the idol worship of Egypt that they'd just come out of is because they thought Moses has gone up into the mountain and God's killed him. Well, Moses went up there to get the Ten Commandments. He brought the Ten Commandments down, the tablets of stone down from the mountain to the people. You remember the first set he broke because of their disobedience and their carousing and all the stuff that they were doing with the golden calf. But God gave him another set. And from that point on, God called Moses. Moses is referred to to the children of Israel as the lawgiver. But something more than just receiving the law happened to Moses. Moses came down and wasn't aware of it, but his face shined. Not just that time, but the second time he went up to get the replacement tablets of stone, the replacement Ten Commandments to replace the ones that he broke. He came down and wasn't aware of the fact that his face was shining. And in fact, it was so bright and so glorious that the people asked him to cover his face. They were afraid of him. Now, if we put that into a New Testament context, you remember in James chapter 1 and verse 21, James says by the Holy Ghost, Receive with meekness the engrafted word, lay aside the things of the world, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Paul said it this way in Romans 12 too. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
one of the things that's, uh, that really has been impressed upon me of late is the transforming power of the Word of God. Now, usually, and, and, and I started off this way. I started off when I went to uh, a seminar in Raymond in February of 1980 to take my dad out to healing school. My brother and I went. I got around people that, that had a different relationship with God than I did. And I instantly I was impressed with it and, and saw it, recognized it instantly. Now, since everybody there seemed to have it, I assumed that that was the place that you got it. I didn't know. But I knew they had something I didn't have, and I knew they had something I wanted. Now, I grew up in the Baptist church, got saved just before I was seven years old. Grew up in the Baptist church, and the Baptist church I was part of did a great job. Their Sunday school program was second to none. They did a great job of teaching us the Bible stories. They did a great job of teaching us about the miracles of Jesus. They did an excellent job of impressing upon us two things. Number one, that the Bible is the word of God. It's infallible, it's accurate, and it's true. And secondly, they told us how important it was to read the word. And so we went through reading programs and, and so forth. And, and even as a kid, it wasn't something that I was faithful in to the point where I'd read the Bible every day. But three or four times a week, I'd read something in the Bible. But it wasn't real to me unless I was reading one of the stories. Now, I could read the storybook, the storybook Bibles and things like that. And I'd get blessed, you know, seeing the things that God did with Old Testament heroes and such. But if I got away from the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of Jesus, there wasn't much for me to get to. I mean, even the journeys of Paul, the stories of that didn't have a great impact on me. But the letters of Paul, the letters written to the church, held no meaning to me whatsoever. No meaning for me whatsoever. Now, there's a reason for that, folks. And I want to remind you of the scripture over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to pull some things out of context. The context is Jesus is telling them to lay up treasures in heaven and not lay up treasures on the earth. But there's a greater principle. He's not just talking about what you do with your money. There's a greater principle here. I'm going to start in verse 22, Matthew 6:22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, then thy whole body shall be full of light. Now what he's saying is, and the principle he's referring to is, that it's so easy for us to just get conscious of this physical realm and take care of the physical body and the physical man. But he's saying, put spiritual things first. Just like you need to put God first in your money, you need to put spiritual things first in every aspect of your life. So when he says the light of the body is the eye, and if your eye be single, your body's full of light, he's saying if you're focused and single-minded about putting spiritual things first and ahead of physical things, then your whole body will be full of light. But notice the next verse. Notice verse 23. But here's the contrast. But if your eye be evil, if you're not single-minded, if you're not focused on spiritual things first and foremost, if your eye be evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light of, that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? 
And let me tell you how that fits. Here I am, growing up in a Baptist church, loved God with all my heart, learning the stories of the Bible and such, enjoy reading them every time that I had a chance. But the truth of the word, the instruction of the word, the letters that belong to me as a believer in the New Testament were darkness to me. And I didn't realize for years and years why I didn't get anything from reading the Bible. But it's because I wasn't a doer of the word. See, folks, as soon as you come to something on the word of God that you do not act on, then the word goes dark for you. Doesn't mean everything you knew before is lost, but it means there's no more spiritual advancement. No further spiritual development. Now, remember what God told Joshua. This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. Don't quit saying it. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Again, it's the obedience that brings the success, but it's the meditation that brings the ability to be a doer. You remember when Moses stood before God in, uh, in the burning bush? God appears to him in a bush that won't burn. It's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. He gives Moses instruction. First thing he says, take your shoes off. This is a holy place. And then he starts talking to him about going to Pharaoh. Remember Moses, even though he's experiencing a great miracle, not only the fire itself, but God speaking to him from the bush and out of the fire. Moses doesn't accept what he's hearing. He says, who will I tell him sent me? God identifies himself. He said, tell him I am that I am has sent you. He said, but he won't listen to me. He said, what have you got in your hand? He said, I've got a stick. So he tells him to throw the stick down. The stick turns into a snake. Moses runs from his snake. The stick that turned into a snake. God talks him into turning around, picking it up again, and it turns back into a stick. This went on for several, for, well, for some time. We don't know exactly how long. But God makes, or Moses makes every excuse possible. And then asks God for a sign. Now, I would think the burning bush was a sign. But Moses wanted something more. Now, folks, I've made fun of Moses and, and joked about it and laughed about it. But the reality is this. When Moses was experiencing his first encounter with God, it was the same as the effect of meditation on the heart. For example, we talked about Moses' face shining. Psalm 103, verse 7, I believe it is, says that God made his acts known unto Israel, but he made his ways known unto Moses. See, Israel wasn't transformed by the word, but Moses was transformed by the presence of God. Meditation has more to do with the presence of God than it does instruction. It provides you spiritual knowledge and spiritual insight so that then you can become a doer 
of the word of God. But you have to make the decision to do it. Because if you don't, then the light turns into darkness. You start walking in the shadows rather than in the light. Now, the transformative power of the Word of God is not just in the area that you're studying or thinking about or meditating on. The Word is transformative in every respect. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Keep them, let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them in health to all their flesh. Now, the Bible is saying, if the Holy Ghost inspired that to be written, the Bible is saying the whole of the Bible is healing, not just healing scriptures. How is that possible? Because Jesus said the word of God was spirit and life. Did you notice of the four steps, the first three have to do with the word? The reason for that is, as Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The life he's talking about is not physical life. He's talking about spiritual life or eternal life. He says the word of God is the only thing that is designed to fit, to feed, to develop, and to educate your spirit. But there is just as much spiritual education that comes from spending time in God's presence than there is by learning what the Word of God says. When I heard Brother Hagin, well, actually, when I got around Rama, got around some of the students before I even really heard much of Brother Hagin, I was amazed in, in the first service of Brother Hagin's that I was ever in personally. I was amazed at the attitude that he had toward the word. Like I said, I'd grown up around a lot of people that loved God, loved him just as much as Brother Hagin did. I grew up around a lot of people that would read the Bible every day. But I did not know one person that was a doer of the word. Now, I don't mean that to be critical. I'm sure they were doing the best they knew how to do. But it never occurred to any of us in the church I grew up in that the Bible was a handbook for life. That was an instruction manual. It was a storybook. It had a lot of good information. But the church I grew up in thought that a lot of it wasn't for us today. A lot of it had been done away with when the last apostle died and so forth. The real powerful stuff was done away with. So I did not know one human being on the face of the earth that was a doer of the word. Well, according to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, what does that mean? That means at the very best, no matter how much we may have loved God, at the very best, we're walking in the shadows, not in the light. Do you remember John said, writing to the church, John said, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship together and fellowship with him. There's only one way you're going to ever experience the presence of God, and that's through his word. See, a lot of people try to learn God and know God through their emotions. And a lot of, a lot of churches and a lot of services will in, uh, encourage you in that regard. They'll set it up in an emotional setting so that you feel God. What does that mean? 
If we said, can you feel God's presence? What does that mean? Does that mean God's presence physically affects our bodies? No. We may have a spiritual sense that his presence is there. But it's not a physical feeling. Well, then we're never going to know God by our emotions or our feelings. You can only know him through the word. Because the word of God is the only thing designed to fit, feed, educate, and develop you spiritually. So if we're going to have to be doers of the word in order to develop spiritually, that means we're going to have to be doers of the word in every area. For example, when I first got around Brother Hagen, I didn't know anything about the need for healing. I'd been healthy all my life. But boy, I sure needed finances. I was so broke I couldn't even afford to pay attention. And so I started feeding on scriptures concerning finances. I started feeding on prosperity scriptures. Prosperity scriptures and scriptures concerning provision and so forth. And I wanted it to work like an equation, like a math problem. You know, X plus A plus B equals C or whatever the case may be. And I tried to plug things in physically and do physical actions to bring it about. And I was frustrated. Now, don't get me wrong. God saw me through. But I never had anything extra. I just barely got by. And so I'm going from one financial crisis to the next financial crisis to the next financial crisis and so forth. But I'm confessing the word. I'm speaking the word of God. I'm speaking the scriptures. And something was taking place in me that I didn't know what was happening. I'm thinking that since it's not working as quick as the stories that I'm hearing... From other people preaching. I'm thinking that it's not working. That maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not doing things right or whatever. I'd learned by then that God can't miss it on his end. So I'm thinking that something was wrong with me. But the reality was. I had not spent enough time. In the presence of God. Through meditating in the word. For his word to have any transformative effect. And there came a point in time. Where I realized that the word was changing me. And so at that point it became less about what I need God to do for me. Than it was about who he is. And what he's promised to do. Does that make any sense? Boy I wish I could have made that happen the first day. Or the first week or the first month. But spiritual development takes time. And in my opinion, in my judgment, that's the real time factor when it comes to spiritual development. Now, God tries to help us out on that by telling us to get a head start on it by meditating day and night. In other words, he's saying, make that the purpose of your life. Now, why is that? Well, it's not just because he wants us to be doers of the word so he can bless us. He does want that. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God requires of you to believe that he will reward you. That's a good deal. He requires you to believe. In order to please him, you have to believe that he will reward you for seeking. Well, how are we supposed to seek him? Through meditating in the word. Through speaking the word of God. 
See, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and his face was changing and his whole body was being affected by the presence of God that he wasn't aware of until somebody else told him. He's experiencing God in a way that goes far beyond the Ten Commandments. He's experiencing the presence of God in a way that goes far beyond the law. He comes down the mountain and he gives them the law. But they said, Moses, you're going to have to cover your face. Now, what does that symbolize? Well, to me, it symbolizes the rejecting the effect of the presence of God upon him for the rules. Okay, we'll take the rules. We'll take the list of things that you want us to do that God told you to give us. But that transformative work that's affected your body, that's spooky. That's scary. We don't want that. So what was the result? The result was the children of Israel went into rebellion. Moses couldn't hardly get through a week without them raising up murmuring about something. So much so that on two occasions, God finally says to Moses, step back, let me do away with these people and start over with you. Folks, when you take God off to that point, you're dealing with a rebellious bunch. I think a lot of times, and it may be just through ignorance or immaturity, it was with me. But I think a lot of times we reject the presence of God through the word. Maybe not even knowing we're doing it. Looking for the rules that will make us a success. For me, I was trying to get to step four. I'd hear Brother Hagin talking about how the Holy Spirit would impress upon him or lead him or speak to him to do certain things and the results that it brought about. And I thought, oh man, I want that. I want that big time. So let's hurry through steps one, two, and three. Because step four is the real big part of being led by the Holy Ghost. And in my own case, I wanted God to lead me into success and victory and finances. That's where I had the greatest need. Well, he had to teach me what to do with my money from the word first. See, it didn't make sense for me to expect God to speak to me about my finances if I wasn't going to obey him with my tithes and my offerings. And the first place I ever found God speaking to me was about money. First place, first time I can ever remember where I heard the voice of God, the inward witness, on the inside of me it was about something to give. And I let it go by. Because I thought, well, surely God's not going to tell me to give. I don't have anything. I could understand if he tells somebody to give to me. But it doesn't make sense for God to tell me to give something because really what he told me to give was minuscule, was such a small amount. But it's the only thing I had. And so I let it get by me for a day or two. But it wouldn't go away. Finally, after the second or third day, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, are you talking to me about this? Is this you? I didn't even need to ask. I already knew that it was. 
And so I did it. I was a couple of days late, but I did what he told me to do. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you that the sky is open and the windows of heaven poured out a blessing upon me that there wasn't room enough to receive. But you know what I got from that giving? Credit for obedience. And I have no doubt that it had something to do with the blessings that God brought to me in a later time. But I have no way to track it back to that one act. But I knew that I knew that I knew this is what God was telling me to do and I finally did it. Sometime later, I was complaining in my immaturity about God never speaking to me. And I was saying, now Lord, I hear all these stories about what you tell other people and other students. You're speaking to them about stuff and you never tell me anything. He let me get by with that for about a half a day. And then he brought to my attention that the one time that I had spoke, that he had spoken to me, I was three days late in obeying. And he asked me a very simple question. He said, why should I speak to you if you're not going to do what I tell you to do? Now, that was a big step forward for me in my spiritual development. Because that was the point where I decided once and for all, I will do anything that the Lord tells me to do, either witnessing to my heart, or anything that I see the Bible giving me instruction for. As soon as I said that, then he started talking to me about the things that I wasn't doing. He reminded me of where the word says, where Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or drink, literally what you'll have. He said, are you acting on that? And I wanted to say yes. But he and I both would have known that was a lie. He reminded me where Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. First Peter 5, 7, Casting the whole of your care on him, for he cares for you. I wasn't doing that. See, folks, I was picking the part of the Bible that I wanted to act on. But that's what causes you to walk in darkness. Walk in the shadows. You got to act on everything the Bible says. Then he started asking me, what about what James said about counting it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations? At this point, I was getting kind of sad that I'd asked him why he wasn't talking to me. But he was trying to help me. He was trying to get me to get rid of the hindrances that was holding me back from spiritual development, the place where he wanted me to be. He talked to me for a long time. He said, you're wanting to count it joy when things are joyful. You're wanting to count it joy when your pocket's full of money. You're wanting to count it joy when everything is going right. You don't need to count it joy then. It will be joyful. He showed me some adjustments I had to make. If your eye be single, then your whole body will be full of light. When I made some of those corrections, and it, uh, I, I, 
I made them, made the decision to make them instantly, but it took a while to get there. It took a while to get to the place where I was acting on the decision that I made. But when I came to the place where I was acting on the, what the Bible says to do, and not just on the part that was easy to do, the Lord started speaking to me in ways that I'd never known before. He started giving me instruction. In other words, step four came when I started acting on the word. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. I already knew what the word says. It was a lack of doing what the Bible says. I spoke to uh, James chapter 1 and verse 21 a minute ago about the transformative work of God or power of the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22 goes on to say, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. See, well, part of the reason that I was walking in the shadows is because I was self-deceived. The problem with being deceived is you don't know you are. It wasn't a conscious decision that I was making to disobey the word. I didn't realize I was. Until the Lord showed me. But once he showed me, I made the adjustment. Those are lessons that I'll never forget. Those are lessons that stand me in good stead today. There are times even now when I'll get off by myself and tell tell the devil, go ahead, devil, pour it on. The more you do it, the more I'm going to count it joy. The harder things get, the more I'm going to count it joy. And no matter what you do, no matter what the circumstances are, I'm going to continue to cast my cares over on him. Well, you can't get there unless you've spent time in the the presence of God through the word. See, Moses had to see the stick turn into a snake to begin with and then turn it back into a stick. The snake turned back into a stick before he got to Pharaoh's court. That's what I see the work of meditating in the word to do. Meditating in the Word is a place where the Holy Spirit will speak to you and reveal to you and show you from the Word the greatness of God and His unlimited ability. Those are things you start seeing on the inside. Those are things the devil will start to attack you with. You'll say, oh, you don't think that's really the way it can work, do you? Well, all things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible with God. Sure, he can do this. When I meditate in the word, my imagination goes wild. I'm not talking about thinking about other things. I'm talking about things in line with the word. Those are things, times where I see the power of God on display. A friend of mine years ago used to call it daydreaming in the Holy Ghost. It's a good thing to do. Because it expands your understanding. It expands your possibility thinking. To what God can do and how he can do it. Doesn't mean it will work that way. But you gain greater confidence in him. For his word to work. Casting all your care on him. 
Are you doing that? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different trouble. Are you doing that? Are you obeying him in the things you know the Bible says to do? Or are we just putting those things on hold and waiting for him to tell us something we want to hear? Do you see the point I'm trying to make? Jesus said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Folks, the the word of God is true. And God watches over his word to perform it, to bring it to pass. Whether we do right or not, the word of God cannot fail. When we come to the realization that the word of God cannot fail, it's impossible to fail. Then that's where we get in line with what the word says. And start counting it joy, not worrying about the circumstances. Not trying to judge the truth of the word by what we see and what we feel. That's where real spiritual development comes in. That's where real spiritual development takes place. Real spiritual development takes place with you and God alone in your prayer closet or wherever you might be. Not in front of other people. That may be the way we envision it. We want to see ourselves striking our hand over some sick person's disease and see them raised up off a deathbed. Things like that don't happen unless you have time alone with God. Things like that don't happen until you win your battles in secret. Things like that don't happen until you conquer the word, being obedient to the word as a matter of course in your own life. It's the difference in asking a group of people. Let's imagine that we were in a Bible school with a bunch of people that know the call of God and ready to just chomping at the bit to get out there and do something for God. If we ask the question, how many of you want to do something great for God, everybody in the room would raise their hand. If we turn the question around and said, how many of you just want to be who God wants you to be? They wouldn't think that was nearly as important. But that's what's really important. The Bible says, better is a man who keepeth his spirit than who takes the city. You'll never know God any other way than through his word. That's why meditating in the word and being a doer of it is so important. That's why giving the word first place, making it your number one purpose in life. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what comes. That's why that's so important. You take care of the first three steps and God will take care of step four. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be your children. What a privilege it is to have the Holy Ghost living and dwelling on the inside of us. What a privilege it is to have the Word of God that we can feed on and meditate in. The Word of God that takes first place in our lives. The Word that becomes our 
map for life, for every situation that we encounter. Father, we trust you. The people that are here are going through different things, facing different circumstances in their lives. But no matter what we face, your word is the answer. And we believe it shall be even as you've told us. We believe we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We believe our needs are met according to your riches and glory. We believe you for direction. You said we'd hear and know your voice and a stranger we wouldn't follow. We thank you, Father, for the answers. Whatever answers we need, we thank you that the answer is ours. We thank you, Father, that you're our rewarder. So we count it joy in the middle of our difficulties. We count it joy, not because it is, but because you told us to do so. Because we believe that your word is true. Faithful is he that called us, who shall also bring it to pass. Thank you, Father, there's not one part, not one jot or tittle, as the Bible says, of the word of God that will fail. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to perform your word and see us through. So we say, even as the word tells us, that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our trust in you, our decision and choice to act on your word in every regard. We refuse to worry. We choose to walk in love. So we thank you, Father, that your word is at work in us. We thank you that there is no problem, no thing that the enemy can do that's greater than the power of your word that's at work in us and for us. We love you, Father. We treasure your word. How precious it is to us. Because it's our victory. It's our answer. It's our source of life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I read a letter this week. Let me tell you this before we go. Talking about the transformative power of the word. I got a letter from a TV viewer. That uh, is in dire critical situation. A lot of pain with the condition that they have. Not able to get out, go anywhere, much less come to church. She found us on TV. And that letter to the website, the podcasts, and the different things that are available. And she said this. She said, I'm standing in faith for my healing. She thanked us for the encouragement that she got from particular healing school. But then she said this. She said, I've found that the only way that I can cause the pain to cease is to put your teaching on in the house. She said, when you're teaching the word, doesn't matter the subject, when you're teaching the word, I'm pain free. She's using the word of God as pain management. 
Isn't that awesome? The word is transforming. It's transformative. There's so many things that God does behind the scenes that we don't even know. Let's just agree with that lady for her healing. Father, in the name of Jesus, we agree with Julie that she's healed from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. We thank you that Jesus took her infirmities and bore her sicknesses, and with his stripes she is healed. We join together our faith and our agreement with her. Father, you said, Jesus said to us, that if two or more of us agree as touching anything that we ask here on the earth, you'll do it for us. We agree together that Julie is healed. Sickness has to go, has to leave her body in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Can you agree with that? Amen. Amen. You know, all of us want great faith, but great faith comes out of great battles, great tests, great victories come from great battles. None of us want the battles. We just want the great faith and the great victory as a result. But when we know the word works, we can count it joy, knowing that we're walking into a great victory. Amen? Amen. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.